Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 141 of Sorta Awesome, and I want to kick off this episode by saying hello and welcome to all of our new listener supporters. We have had so many of you make it official that you are a truly awesome superstar by becoming a supporter of this show. And I'm guessing that has something to do with the release of our newest exclusive episode for our supporters. It features part two of a recent conversation I had with our dear friend, Laura Tremaine. It's the kind of conversation that we do not want to have in public, but we don't mind sharing with our listener supporters. So if you would like to support our work here at Sorta Awesome and continue to make 2018 the year of the awesome We would love to have you join our community of listener supporters. One of the perks of becoming a listener supporter of this show is that you can listen to that episode with Laura Tremaine and also all of the episodes we have ever released for our supporters. So to find out how to become a supporter, you can go to SortaAwesomeShow.com slash support. Again, all the details you need, SortaAwesomeShow.com slash support. Okay, you guys, I told you last week that this month, April 2018, is all about celebrating Sorta Awesome and the three years of creating an awesome spot in your week every Friday that we've been enjoying for for the past three years. Here we are, we're celebrating our third birthday. I have to tell you, I'm super excited for you to hear today's episode. We are thrilled to welcome author and speaker and all around incredibly wise happiness guru, Gretchen Rubin to the show. I got to sit down with Gretchen and talk about knowing how your personality and your tendency type can help you better show up for the celebrations in your life and also help you understand why your friends and family are the way they are. (laughs) Yes. So we had such a great talk and I cannot wait for you to hear it. But first... I'm joined today by my lovely friend and my beloved co-host, Kelly Gordon. Hello, Kelly. Hey, Meg. I'm not sure if April is being awesome to you in Minnesota right now. I'm so sorry. 
I don't want to talk about it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Really, truly, we are here in eternal winter. And I know that there are many, many awesomes who are here with me because so much of the U.S. this last weekend from when we're taping experienced a just crazy winter storm for April. Canada, we're all here. You know, I'm just thinking... I'm bringing back out the Christmas tree if it snows one more flake. One more flake, Winter. (laughs) The tree's coming back out. (laughs) Yep. You have done an amazing job of documenting the whole thing on Instagram and on your Instagram (laughs) stories. I felt completely looped in, experiencing with it, you with it all along the way. So, my goodness, I hope you guys thaw out very soon. And this is another reminder why you guys remember spring is Kelly Gordon's fourth favorite season because you never right. know when it's going to snow. It's April. not really going to come this year. This is what my theory is. And we'll see if this happens. So the weather awesomes out there who are living in this same sort of weather, I think we're going straight to summer this year. <laughs> I think we're finally warming up next week, and then it's going to be 80. Yes. It's going to be like... There was you know, no spring that year. There, the, the year of no spring. Yes. Oh, so, my yeah. goodness. All right. Well, Bless let's... It. Let's leave the the winter woes behind and go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week, that moment in the show when we get to share with you about the books, the TV, the podcast, the music, whatever it is that we have discovered that's making our lives a little bit more awesome. Kelly, why don't you go ahead and kick things off for us? Well, my Awesome of the Week is actually brought to you by Eternal Winter 2018 (laughs) because what has happened is, you know, we have not been outside really for six months. We have been living largely indoors and I have four kids and we are over it. And so we are doing anything that we can to stay sane. So this last week, we were reintroduced to the wonderful comedy of Mr. Tim Hawkins, who is my awesome of the week. All right. So if you are not familiar, Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian, um, singer songwriter as well, because he does some parodies. He really knows his subculture. You know, I don't think that you have to be a Christian, an evangelical Christian, somebody from the Bible Belt, to think that he's funny. Because, you know, funny is funny. But it helps. Yes. Um, you know, he has whole bits on um, worship songs and the different forms of hand racing in church. <laughs> <laughs> like what church you go to. Uh-huh. He's like, bring bring the baby. You bring the baby. Oh, hold, hold it up. I think I actually have seen that one actually in a church. <laughs> In the church. Okay, there you go. See, he knows his subculture. Yes. Um, he has a whole one on alternative cuss words <laughs> for Christians. Yes. Like if we really need to let it out, but we want to do so in an acceptable way. Uh-huh. Um, but really, to experience his magic awesomes, I feel like you have to hear him. So I just, is it okay to play a short clip, Meg? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this is Tim on eating and living clean. Oh. Your problem is uh, you're not eating clean. That's your problem. Uh, You need to eat clean. You mean like eat my donuts in the shower? No. (laughs) Eating clean. Essential oils, people? Come out of a spaceship? Hey, Tim. (laughs) Essential oils, man. It's the elixir of nature. Essential oils, Tim, do you do essential oils? Okay, whatever oil Chick-fil-A is using, yeah, I'm using that one over there. That's the oil. I guess yes is the answer to that question. You should do veganism, plant-based, plant-based. Tim, did you have your greens today? Did you have your greens? I had some Apple Jacks. No greens, Tim. (laughs) Tim, be a vegan. You'll live longer. No, it'll just seem longer. 
don't have time for celery. <laughs> okay. All right. So he also does, as I mentioned, really, really talented musical parodies. So I don't know that we'll have time to play any for you awesomes, but I would highly advise that you either check out his website, which is timhawkins.net, or he has a YouTube channel and look up some of these parodies. So he will write his own music and he's has a real talent for mimicking voices of singers, but just his own stuff is great too. He recently wrote one about yoga pants uh-huh. and how they seem to give his wife extra powers and why won't they share them with men? Why don't men have yoga pants? <laughs> no, it's, it's just like they, for us. We get the right. yoga pants. <laughs> He's like, how does she get so much done? And then I started thinking, she's always wearing yoga pants. <laughs> so anyway, it's a really funny song, but he does a lot of parodies too. So he had, he took one a few years ago, Jesus Take the Wheel. He made into Cletus Take the Reel. Oh my gosh. Which is the fishing reel. Yes. So it's a total redneck. Like he's kind of, he plays a lot in a Southern humor. Um, there's one of the best ones ever is a parody of Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You. Mm-hmm. Only it's, I'll clean up for you. <laughs> he's like, ladies, we know what you want. And he's like, I get the vacuum out. I pull it slow. <laughs> I'll clean up for you like you want me to. Oh, my gosh. It's awesome. And then there's also a really good one. It's um, Green Day's song, Time of Your Life, is how we know it mostly. And he has its things you don't say to your wife. Uh-huh. So he's playing into all that. So really, his humor, while it's Christian, and if you are a Christian, much like John Christ, who you may know, he does a lot of Christian humor and videos. They go viral on Facebook right now. John and, and Tim Hawkins, they travel together. John will often open for him. So it is that sort of humor. But really, there's so much of Tim's humor that is just real life humor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those situations that we deal with with our kids. He talks about really bad Halloween candy, um, dangerous toys, how people laugh. That's funny. So if you, like me, just need to laugh And maybe do it with your kids, because that's what we do, is we tend to pull up Tim Hawkins after dinner and fall down the rabbit hole. Three hours later, my kids are like, what bed? No, watch another one. Because, you know, it's YouTube. You can just keep clicking another video. Uh Yeah. So it's it's a great, great family entertainment and just a great way to laugh with whomever you need to laugh with. Love that. So fun, especially when you are cooped up in the house and you need some good medicine from laughter for sure. Love it. Yes. What do you got? All right. I have a podcast recommendation. Not my first, certainly not going to be my last. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But this week, I want to talk about the Forever 35 podcast. Have you heard about this one, Kelly? No. So do tell. I'm very excited. You do fill up my podcast here. I know. I'll keep your earbuds busy for sure. So lots of awesomes have reached out to me to recommend the Forever 35 podcast. Um, I want to give a special shout out to my friend Sarah in Dallas, who specifically was like, you have to listen because it's a show that just launched in January. And on this show, it's hosted by two friends, Kate and Dory. And they talk about everything from how they are coping with their anxiety, depression, stress, to their favorite face masks and serums and their meditation regimes and their favorite mascaras. Like they cover the gambit that we also cover here on Sorta Awesome. And it has been so fun and so fantastic to tune in and listen to these friends who are not only sharing these conversations with each other, but they also bring in 
guests to talk about what they are doing to take care of themselves. In fact, that's kind of the whole like mission statement of the podcast. They call it a podcast about taking care of yourself. So Kelly, I think that you would be so into this. Um, Again, it's hosted by uh, Dori Schaefer, who many of you might know, she and her husband actually have um, their own podcast that has really taken off called Matt and Dory's Excellent Adventure about their um, journey through IVF and trying to have a baby. Um, and then Kate Spencer is the other co-host. Both of them are authors, and they both have written extensively in lots of different online outlets like BuzzFeed and um, Rolling Stone, Cosmo. So you have probably come across their writing somewhere along the way. They have such a great chemistry together. And I, again, I just love the topics that they cover. And then because they are well connected with lots of very interesting people, they bring others on and they kind of talk about what they've got going on in their lives. And then they ask their guests to, to share about like, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you making time for self-care and like just coping with whatever challenges you have in life right now. What does that look like for you? So if you have really been into our past sort of awesome episodes where we have talked about some things like anxiety and postpartum depression and um, even, you know, the importance of meditation. And Kelly, you certainly have informed lots of us about things like self-care versus self-comfort and those types of things. Mm -hmm. So if you're into that and you also love to talk beauty product recommendations, I will tell you, I've been binging this. I just went back and started at the beginning because I, like I said, it just started in January. There's not that many. And uh, one of the, one of the early episodes, one of them talks about um, a under eye concealer that's changed her life. (laughs) And I was okay. my ears perked up. I was like, wait a second. I'm, I'm always looking for the new great concealer to change my life. It's from Benefit and it's called Boying, B-O-I-I-N-G, Industrial okay. Strength Concealer. And they wow. were talking about how amazing it is. I took myself to Ulta like the next day and got it. And it is, in fact, amazing. So I just think that so many awesomes will be so into what they're doing at Forever 35. It's really one of those podcasts that really speaks to where we are in life, like in your 30s and 40s. What are the, you know, what are the realities of life? How are you coping? How are you managing? So I will say, I will give this warning that, um, not warning, but a heads up, the language and the conversation topics are a little bit more girls night out with a glass of wine (laughs) than milkshake play date at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> well said. <laughs> so just a little heads up on that. Um, but I just I want to send you over there because I think you will love what Kate and Dory are doing. It's so fun. I think it's a perfect compliment to the mission of the awesomes as well. Just don't forget about us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you start yes. binging this. So that's my awesome of the week forever 35 podcast. Don't forget that every single Friday over in our sort of awesome hangout group on Facebook, we open up the floor for you guys to share what is awesome in your life. If you haven't already, we would love to have you join us there. And you can do that by going to facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Okay, awesomes, this week I had to tackle the much dreaded task of finding a babysitter to handle an evening of dinner, bath time, and general bedtime chaos while Kyla and I are out for an upcoming event. We hardly ever hire babysitters, so I don't have one on standby, and I really had no idea where to start with finding one. Thankfully, what I do have is magic. 
Magic is a service that gives me access to trained personal assistants 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All I do is send Magic a text with what I need help with, and one of their magicians gets right to work. In just a few hours, my Magic personal assistant found a childcare agency in our area, and they took care of all of the details of getting a sitter for my kiddos for that evening. You guys, it was seriously magic to have that task taken off of my to-do list. Magic's personal assistants can help you with virtually anything. And with Magic, there's no monthly fees, no commitments. You only pay for what you use. It's a low cost per minute, and you can use Magic as often as you need. Because we want to help you get more things done, Magic is giving you, the awesomes, a special offer. Your first request is free. To get this great offer, go to GetMagic dot com slash awesome so you can start taking care of those dreaded tasks on your to-do list too try magic for free by going to getmagic.com slash awesome that's getmagic.com slash awesome thank you magic hey awesomes if you're looking for something new and also awesome to keep your earbuds busy this spring you know you can head over to audible to pick up some great stuff to listen to Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. So yeah, you can take your listening straight from parking your car in the garage to tuning in with Alexa in your kitchen without missing a word. Audible lets you get through tons of books, hands and eyes free while you're doing almost anything. Audible members get a credit every month for any audiobook in the store and your unused credits roll over to the next month. If you didn't like your audiobook, you can exchange it, no questions asked. A book that I grabbed on Audible that I have been loving based on recommendations from you, the awesomes, is a brand new memoir from Tara Westover called Educated. In it, she tells the story of being raised by survivalists in the mountains of Idaho, where she was prevented from ever seeing a doctor or from setting foot in a classroom. Julia Whelan narrates this fascinating and inspiring inspiring story of Westover's eventual self-education, which led her to college and eventually getting her PhD from Cambridge. Educated is getting lots of buzz right now with good reason, and you can find it at Audible and start your free 30-day trial by going to audible.com slash awesome or text awesome to 500-500 to get started. So again, you can start that 30-day free trial by going to Audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash awesome, or text awesome to 500-500 to get started. Thank you, Audible. Okay, awesomes. Well, probably most of you need no introduction at all to Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is the author of many books, many books that you all are big fans of, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, The Four Tendencies, Better Than Before, and The Happiness Project. Gretchen has millions of readers and her books have been translated into 30 languages. The Happiness Project spent two years on the bestseller list. And now on her top-ranked award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses happiness and good habits with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. Maybe you've seen Gretchen on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday talking about happiness. And here she is with us in this, the year of the awesome, in our birthday month. And we're going to talk a little bit about her framework of the four tendencies, which I know has had a huge impact on the lives of so many of our awesome. So Gretchen, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Well, I'm so happy to be talking to you and happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you for that. 
I know that you and I, before we dig into this, I know you and I have something else in common. Both of us have daughters who, mm-hmm. I heard this on your show, one of your daughters has picked up the ukulele. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My oldest daughter, she just turned 13, and for her 13th birthday, she decided she wanted a ukulele. And I'll tell you what, that's been the best investment we've ever made for our whole family. It's so fun. It's a very, very happy instrument. It's not that hard to play, and it's very, very cheerful sound. It is. Absolutely. I love the ukulele. It is. Just saying the word ukulele makes me it happy. Is. I'm like, I just love the word ukulele. <laughs> right up there with kumquat. Definitely, yeah. yes. Some words are more fun to say than others. Yeah. Ukulele <laughs> is a happy word. It's so funny because in orchestra, she plays the stand-up bass. So it's, you know, these deep, like mournful, soulful yes. sounds usually when she's practicing her bass. But then she'll get out her ukulele and she's just like picking away and just so happy. (laughs) Like the harmonica. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Well, let's start with talking about the four tendencies. You've written lots of books and have shared your perspectives on life and humanity and our, you know, sort of collective universal pursuit of trying to find happiness in life. But I love that one of the things that you kind of unlocked and came across in your happiness work was sort of discovering how the way that our personalities are shaped and formed really kind of informs how we experience happiness in our lives. And then here we come with the four tendencies. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how this concept was born and maybe a little bit of an overview for anybody who's not familiar with the four tendencies, what each of those four tendencies are. Absolutely. So I got the first insight into the question that would lead me to figure out the four tendencies when I was having lunch with a friend and she said something that hit me like a ton of bricks, even though I'd heard many people say similar things through the years. For some reason, this just hit me. I was quizzing her unmercifully about her habits, which is my sister Elizabeth calls me a happiness bully. But <laughs> And she said to me, well, here's the weird thing. I know I would be happier if I exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And all of a sudden I was like, well, why? It's the same person. It's the same activity. At one time she had no trouble doing it. And now she can't. How do you explain that? Like Mm, what is going on? And so I, I started really looking at that pattern and then other patterns that I was trying to make sense of. And for a long time, I just like was melting my brain. I couldn't figure out, did these things fit together? How do you even think about it? Like what was the key thing? And then finally one day I was sitting at my desk and I was looking at my to-do list and the word expectation just like flooded my mind. And I realized this is my big key moment was that how we respond to expectations is a huge thing in our lives, how we change, how we communicate with other people. And so we all face two kinds of expectations, outer expectations, which is like a work deadline, or you're my friend and you asked me to do something. So these come to us from the outside. And then we face inner expectations, which is like, I want to start my own podcast. I want to keep a New Year's resolution. Those come to us from the inside. So depending on how you respond to outer and inner expectations, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. Yes. So- upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do it if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their standard, no problem. They'll do it. If it fails their standard, they're going to push back. They tend to object to anything arbitrary, Mm. irrational, inefficient. Then there are obligers. 
Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And this is my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, no problem. But when she was just trying to go running on her own, that's when it was a challenge. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. Yeah. So those are the four. And I have a quiz on my mm-hmm. site, GretchenRubin.com. Like 1.3 million people have taken this quiz. But most people don't need the quiz. They can sort of just <laughs> tell what they are from a brief description. Yes. It's pretty blatant. Yeah. So those are the four tendencies. I love that. When I first read through your framework, it jumped off the page at me immediately. Oh, I'm absolutely an obliger, like capital O obliger for (laughs) sure. In fact, that's kind of the whole thing that has kept the podcast going for three years. I had an idea on the inside that after I'd finished blogging and I was kind of tired of writing that I wanted to do a podcast. And so... I knew like if I can just have some accountability, then I can sustain the energy for that. And so as we connected with an audience and the audience grew, it truly is like being able to provide shows every week for our people, for our awesomes, that has really sustained the momentum in that because I can list a dozen projects off the top of my head of things that I never followed through on because there wasn't that outer expectation that was, you know, kind of like wooing me along to keep going. So... Well, it's interesting that you're an obliger because that is the biggest tendency for both men and women. It's the one that the largest number of people belong to. So you're probably a good representation of your audience because a lot of them are probably obligers. And also you hit on the key point, which is that if you're an obliger who's struggling to meet inner expectations, which you are because that's the definition of an obliger, the key is to create outer accountability because once you have that outer accountability, then you can meet that inner expectation. So what you did is you were like, well, I have this creative project that I want to do. Once I have listeners who are waiting for me, expecting me to show up and provide material, well, then I'm going to feel like I'm going to do it. So that's the key. If you want to read more, join a book group. Mm-hmm. If you want to exercise more, join a class, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who's going to be disappointed if you don't show up. It's not that hard to create outer accountability once you realize that's what you need. And that's what you realize. You're like, well, like you say, once it gets going, it's almost like your accountability is growing Month after month after month, you've got a bigger audience. You've got more people listening, more people waiting, more people expecting yes. something from you and for you, and that's allowing you to do the things you want to do for yourself. That is actually how it worked out perfectly. So it's this perfect. is that's yeah. the perfect solution. It yeah. really has been. And I know that so on sort of awesome in the past three years, we've talked about personality types and systems a lot because it's a big passion of mine. I know that for each system that I've uncovered and kind of found myself in that system, every time I have that moment of like, oh, it all makes sense. My whole life makes sense now. You know, whether it was like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, which we've talked a lot about. And we noticed that in our awesome community, a lot of people, when they were posing questions, kind of asking for feedback or advice, they would include, you know, well, I'm an ENFP and I'm an Enneagram six or, you know, whatever. And then we noticed that as the four tendencies came out, then people were adding, I'm also an upholder, you know, like adding in their tendency type. And I genuinely believe that's such a gift of understanding ourselves better and truly an important part of finding our path of happiness in life is understanding ourselves and the people around us. I love that so many people have embraced this idea of the four tendencies, this framework that you've created. I know it's brought more peace and harmony and efficiency into the lives of so many people, especially in our awesome community. So 
This month, we're talking all about celebrations here on Sort of Awesome as we celebrate our birthday. And I am so curious about this because we all have events to celebrate in life, whether they're big events like weddings, even smaller things, you know, even things like how does the tooth fairy show up in your life? We all have these little moments of celebration, some big, some small. All of us approach these differently. And I know that one of the questions that was kind of a driving force behind the four tendencies was, how do I get people, including myself, Mm -hmm. to do what I want? And Gretchen, I would love to hear your thoughts on how that question really applies to these celebration occasions in our life. Let's just start with, for example, upholders. Okay. How might an upholder view a celebration in general? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about like, what would they be excited about, about a celebration occasion or what might they be a little resistant towards? Right. Well, so I know the upholder tendency very well, because that is my tendency. So with upholders, one of the things that you tend to see with upholders is like a very deep commitment to like the schedule and the to-do list. And so with an upholder, they would probably be more excited about it. If it's like, let's plan this in advance. Let's get this on our calendar early. We're going to wrap our minds around it. Like they might appreciate something like, well, one thing we talked about recently on the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast was the idea of a standardized vacation. Like, okay, I want to get together with my college roommates. Well, we're going to do that every single year at the exact same weekend so that we can plan. And like as an upholder, you would find that deeply kind of satisfying. I know I'm not going to miss it. I can plan ahead. They wouldn't do well with something like, tend not to do well with things that are spontaneous. So something like, hey, this is amazing. I'm in town. Like, let's all go out for dinner. Like an upholder would be like, oh, but I already have, like, I'm supposed to do this. And I'm supposed to do this. So spontaneity, flexibility, like let's change our plans at the last minute, that kind of thing they tend to resist. This is why other people often will think that they're rigid. Mm. Because once they've got it in their mind that things are going to go a certain way, it can be hard to move them against that. But once they know something's on the calendar, then they can get excited for it. And one of the things that you see with upholders is they are very good at making time for themselves. And so to an upholder who says like, you know what, I'm super busy. I've got a ton of work. I've got a ton of family responsibilities. I really want to make the time for this through these moments of celebration. They really matter to me. They're a deep priority in my life. So I'm going to put them on the calendar. Once they do that, they will have a pretty easy time following through because they will have that kind of commitment to inner expectation but they probably were going to want to do it in advance. Right. So this isn't like, let's do it tomorrow. Right. Because they're like, oh, I got plans. Like I've kind of got my whole week. Yes. That makes so much sense. And I'm sure that all of us kind of look at other types and think, oh, I wish I could be like that. For example, as an obliger, the idea of having a set thing on my calendar and it being sort of immovable, (laughs) especially if it's something that I really want to do. And just being like, no, I'm so sorry. I've got this thing. That would just be so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. You know, to not feel compelled to be like, oh, but they want to do this. So I'll shuffle my right. thing so we can do this thing. Yeah. No, that's a thing for obligers. In fact, I was just emailing with an obliger yesterday who was saying that, so for many obligers taking a class, it makes it more likely that they're going to show up. But he said that for him, it was taking the class and the teacher and that. But also he felt like when people were like, hey, man, let's go out for a drink. Let's go out for happy hour after work. He felt like he could say, I'm sorry, I can't. I have a class where she wouldn't be able to say like, oh, no, I just want to go to the gym because it's like, well, I could just go to the gym anytime. But having the class kind of allowed him, as you say, to say something like I have to say no to you because I have this other commitment. So, again, it's like, you know, if you feel like you're accommodating other people's plans too much. And it's kind of interfering. You might think of like, well, I'm going to lock into or, you know, you can one thing that often works is to say, well, if I say yes to you, I have to say no to someone else. Uh, And I need to say yes to that person. Mm -hmm. So if I stay late for the team, I'm going to miss my daughter's 
birthday dinner and my daughter's expecting me. So I have to say no to you so I can say yes to her. Makes so much sense. Okay. So those were the upholders and I can, I have some upholders in my life (laughs) and thank goodness I do because they are the people who make sure that we do follow through on plans and they really help to make things happen in the world for sure. Let's go ahead and talk about questioners. I'm so curious about questioners and celebrations. I really am thinking about what you said about they really reject anything that feels arbitrary, but I'm so interested to hear how they are going to view celebrations and be excited in the things that they would feel really resistant to when it comes to celebrating. So one of the things that is really apparent with questioners is they really want everything to be efficient and kind of like optimized. And they often believe in customizing things like, let's figure out what works best in this particular situation. And they hate anything arbitrary, like anything that's like, well, why are we doing it this way if this isn't the best way? So the way this can come up with celebration is like, let's say your whole family for 20 years has always gone to church at 5 p.m. And your mom is super committed to that. And your sister is like, well, it doesn't work for us to go at 5 p.m. because of our kids and everything. So we're going to go to this other service. And your mother is like, but we've always gone at 5 p.m. Well, the questioner is going to be like, but that's just an arbitrary time. It doesn't matter when we go to church. Why can't we do it at the time that's most efficient for us, given our current situation? And so to the questioner, it's like, why are you making this big fuss? When you understand that the questioner is really seeing like, well, let's make this as efficient as possible. Or like, well, it's not efficient. Why are we going to cook dinner? Why don't we go out to a restaurant and then we don't have to clean up? And they don't understand why other people are like, well, that's just not the same. Because they're like, well, this is maybe a better solution. It's more efficient. So you always, when you're talking to a questioner, you want to explain to them why something is efficient or why it makes sense. If so, now sometimes it really doesn't make sense. But what you can say to a questioner is, I get that you think it's arbitrary, but can you choose to do it out of love because it's really important to someone else, even though I'm acknowledging it's kind of arbitrary? Because we can always choose to do something out of love because it's really important to someone else. But if you keep insisting that it's like makes more sense, they're not going to cede that ground to you. That's just going to be a fight that's going to keep. But if you can just say like, look, mom wants to go at 5 p.m. I get it. Like it's going to mess with our nap time. It's a hassle, but it's really important to her. So can you just do it for like one day? And then it's like, yeah, I can do it for one day. You know, so you want to speak to them in their language. Yes, yes. You know, so if you're planning something, And they start talking about like, well, wouldn't it be better to do it in the morning because everybody's going to be recovering from a long drive? Talk them through why you're making the decisions you're making. And often they improve things because they do say like, well, is there a better way to do it? All of us benefit from the questioner's drive to make things as good as possible. But it can be draining and overwhelming when somebody's like, well, why are we having turkey? Why are we eating at five? Like, why are we all eating at one table. Why do we have to do it in Miami? You know, and you're just like, okay, whatever. Yes. They don't mean to be disrespectful or obstructionist. Usually they just are really like, well, why are we having turkey? And if you say like, oh, I found this new recipe. I'm really excited to try. I think everyone's going to really like it. Like, okay. They just wanted to know why are we having turkey? You know, they're not undermining your judgment necessarily. Definitely. Well, I can tell you I'm married to a questioner. And as we can commiserate. Yes, as I hear you, that efficiency component is huge. My husband, again, so many times he's brought some great things into our life because he's like, why don't we do it this way? And oh my gosh, well, this worked. But the questioning part can feel a little, you can kind of put you off balance if you perceive it as they're questioning because they think my way is wrong or 
you know, they think this idea is stupid. Sometimes they may actually think the idea is stupid, but they're not asking questions to insult. They're really asking questions yeah. to kind of uncover. Could we do this better? Yeah, see, that's a crucial point. And that's something that questioners really need to learn, especially questioner children, is that their questions can make them seem disrespectful or not team players. It can make people feel defensive or attacked or like, well, you're not respecting my authority. And so really to try to ask in a way that shows a constructive spirit or a spirit of curiosity, not like I'm forcing you to defend everything. Because sometimes people will be like, if they're like, well, why did you pick Italian? They're like, well, we can have Chinese if you want. And they're like, no, I literally mean, <laughs> yes. why did you pick Italian? Yes. But here's a funny thing. I don't know. Not all questioners do this, but my husband definitely does. I'd be curious about you. My questioner husband, like many questioners, hates to answer questions. Oh, he yes. asks them, but he will not answer them. And it is maddening. Yes. But this is the thing. Many questioners, it's like they don't like to answer questions. It's ironic. Yes. But it's a very common pattern. Do you experience Absolutely, this? Absolutely. Yes. It's the same thing. And I'll even try to reason with them and be like, but listen, yeah. when you oh. when you ask me questions, you know, you expect me to like really say, okay, we're doing it this way because but he does kind of get a little bit offended when I turn around and ask him questions. I had never no. really put all of that together, but it's absolutely true. <laughs> no, if they're sort of like, you know, how can you make me like I've done all the mental thought and decision making here. Like I just cannot be bothered to explain it to you yes. or even to explain to you what the answer yes. is. And but what I found, and this is true of questioners, is like, if I just ask a question, he will often refuse to answer it in a way that's really deeply annoying. But if I explain why I'm asking, yes. he often will answer. So if I say, what time are we leaving? He might say later, mm, which is annoying. Mm -hmm. If I say, what time are we leaving? Because I'm wondering if I have time to go for a run. Then he would tell me because it's like, oh, I get that this is a question. There's a reason that I respect, which is do you or do you not have time to exercise? Yes. So that can eliminate conflict. Yeah. I think context is really important for questioners yeah. and especially when you're asking them questions. And sometimes I do think that they are, again, asking questions to try to fit into the context of what's going on. So if it's a big family dinner and they're asking questions about it, I think, because I do think for questioners, they're taking in a lot of information and kind of inwardly processing it. And so yeah. if they're asking questions, they're just kind of trying to get a beat on how is this all going to play out? And what's my role going to be in those kinds of things? So yeah, well, that is a fantastic insight. I'm going to be thinking about that question a bit for a long time. I'll tell you what. <laughs> so helpful. Well, Awesomes, believe it or not, summer fun and travel season is just around the corner. And if you're going to be spending time in airports in the next few months, you know there's nothing less awesome than trying to navigate the airport with a dying phone and no open outlets at any of the charging stations. That's why I'm sort of in love with the luggage line from Away Bags, because Away Bags are luggage with power. This episode of Sorta Awesome is sponsored by Away, the company that is a total game changer for the way you travel. All Away suitcases are made with premium polycarbonate that's so lightweight, and they've created an interior design that features a patent-pending compression system that's so helpful for overpackers like myself. The 360-degree spinner wheels guarantee a smooth ride to the airport or wherever you are traveling, and both sizes of the carry-on can charge all of your cell phones, your tablets, e-readers, anything that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone up to 5 times. Away bags also come with a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they will fix it or replace it for you 
for life. Away bags and accessories make the perfect gift, and there's a perfect size and color for everyone. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com awesome and use promo code awesome during checkout. That's $20 off of an away suitcase by going to awaytravel.com awesome and use promo code awesome at checkout. Thank you, Away. Okay, well, here we go with obligers. I, of course, have ideas and personal experience with this, but I would love to hear your overarching thoughts on obligers and celebrations, what they get excited about, and some ways that they might be resistant in planning and executing celebrations. So the thing to remember about obligers is they readily meet outer expectations and they struggle to meet inner expectations. And one of the things that you will often see with obligers is obliger rebellion. Now, obligers sometimes feel like they're being exploited or taken advantage of, and they are 100% correct. They are often exploited and taken advantage of because they're the rock of the world. They're the people that if you ask them to help you out are the most likely to say yes. So they do get exploited. So what happens when obligers feel exploited or neglected or overlooked, unheard, or when expectations just become too burdensome, they can experience obliger rebellion. And this is when they will meet, 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 meet expectations. And then suddenly, kind of mysteriously, they just snap. And they're like, well, this I will not do. And it's an explosive thing. It's not a like reasoned pushback. It's like a volcano erupting. That's the kind of language that obligers use. They often say that they're acting out of character. They're kind of mystified by their own sort of sudden refusal. This can come up like in kind of family celebrations or celebrations, because like, let's say that you're having a big family celebration. And let's just imagine that among all the participants, the work is not being evenly distributed. <laughs> you have certain people that are massively picking yes. up more slack. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. Somebody's like, hey, <laughs> can you drive out to the airport and pick up blah, 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 blah. And then on your way home, stop for da, 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 da. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, I guess I can. And a questioner is like, well, cool. If you, know, if you didn't want to do it, you should just say you don't want to do it. But it, you said you would do it. So, okay, cool. Now, to an obliger, it's like that feels like a big burden. So, One thing to do is if you're heading into a situation like that, it's incumbent on all of us, obligers and other tendencies to say, is this fair? Is work being distributed equally? And to try to intervene if not, and to speak up if you're like, hey, why is one person doing cleanup night after night after night and other people are like running to the store for roles? You know, I mean, that's not fair. And to try to keep it because you don't want an obliger to tip into obliger rebellion. Obliger rebellion is meant to be protective. It's meant to, you know, kind of blast an obliger out of an insupportable situation. But it can often have a lot of destructive consequences because it is kind of explosive and other people don't understand it. And so you want to keep things fair and you want to figure out ways to keep things fair. Now, you can also think about situations that might be better for obligers. For instance, somebody emailed me this husband. It's a questioner husband with an obliger wife. He said, now I understand why my wife loves to go to these resorts where it's like everything is done for you. Everything is paid. And he said, I realized like she literally cannot do anything. The beds are being made. The plates are being cleared. There's no role for her to play. And so for the first time, she feels true leisure because it's like they're basically like snatching stuff out of her hands if she tries to do it. And so he says, like, I used to be puzzled by the fact that she always wanted to have this kind of vacation. But now I understand why this is so much more relaxing for her. So again, it's like, this is something that is particularly attractive to an obliger. So as a husband, like, okay, honey, like, I get it. Maybe I didn't see the attraction, but now I understand the attraction for you. 
Here's another thing about obligers that can come up around celebrations. Okay. I'd be curious to know if you've experienced this. Kind of mysteriously, and I don't really understand why this happens, okay. obligers will often choose specific tasks that attach to them personally and cannot properly be delegated. So like I had a question to her husband who said, my obliger wife feels like she has to cook Thanksgiving dinner for her extended family. And I say, honey, every year you're like so crabby and so worn out. Let's hire a caterer. Let's go to a restaurant. Like you're not enjoying this. And she's like, no, no, no. I have to cook the dinner. And then he's like, well, do what you want, but I don't want to have to help. So I'm happy to like help if you want to go the catering restaurant route, but if you want to cook and clean, like that's on you because I really have no interest in that. So the thing is to the questioner, it's like, well, you said you wanted to do it. So like, why are you mad? But to an advisor, it's like, well, I feel like I have to do this. You're so like, they're going to be enraged by that response because it doesn't show any respect or understanding for how the obliger feels in Mm -hmm. that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds very familiar to me. I wonder if it's because as obligers, we are very externally motivated. And, but along that same vein, a lot of our affirmation comes from external sources. And so I will fully confess that I can easily slip into, I'll be the martyr here. I'll do all of this. I'll do all the cleanup and do all of this because I'm maybe subconsciously hopeful that somebody will be like, oh my gosh, you totally cleaned up the whole thing. That's so great. Or you're doing so much. It's not a healthy thing always, but I think it's a sort of intrinsic thing that because so much of my motivation comes from outside of myself, that I need to sort of replenish my energy with feedback from the outside as well. But the problem is that usually doesn't come. It doesn't because you know what? Nobody nobody ever pulls you aside. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because people are like, well, if you wanted to do it, fine. But like, I would have just been happy to have like a cleaning service come in. So it's like, So there's just this sort of fundamental disconnect. And that's the thing is obligers often assume that others realize the heavy weight of expectations that they're experiencing, but the other tendencies don't understand that. So they don't sympathize with it and they're not nice about it. Exactly. If anything, they take advantage of it. So this is, so we all really need to watch out. Now, what you could do, like what that questioner husband could do is if you want to help an obliger, you must speak the language that an obliger can hear which is, how can you best meet outer expectations? So I would say, hey, listen, all your family is coming in from all over the country. What they want is to spend time with you. Yes. They want you in the living room with a drink in your hand and chatting and talking and catching up and laughing. That's why they're here. Yep. And if you're busy in the kitchen, you're tired, you're preoccupied, you don't have time to talk to anybody. That's not what this is about. Yep. The holiday is about really family and catching up. Let me call the caterer. I'm going to call them. I'm going to set this up so that you can really spend the time with your family so that they're going to have that time with you, which is really what they're here for. And I'm going to be really disappointed if you don't go follow through with this because I don't want to see you tired out the way you have been in the past. I want you to enjoy it and I want others to be able to enjoy you. Okay, so that is like either way now I have to meet someone's expectations. So I'm going to meet the expectations of my husband who's saying he's going to call the caterer, the expectations of my family who wants my company. Yes. and so. I'm going to say yes to them. And so then I have to give up, but that's going to be something that an obliger can accept. But if it's somebody just being like, well, knock yourself out if you want, but nobody cares. That's not working. That's not helpful. 
And it's not helpful in the middle of dinner to be like, you know what, you people, I've done it for 10 years. If you want to eat the rest of the dinner, like cook the rest of yourself. And then like I drive away and go to a double feature, (laughs) which is totally the kind of thing that happens. As tempting as it may be. Yes. No, I know exactly. We'll do that. You know, it's just like, this is it. You know, I'm like walking out the door. Yes. So yeah, you want to really be aware of this as an obliger yourself, the feeling of deep resentment and burnout that might be building. And then also around you, like, you know, obligers are the rock of the world. Do not exploit them. Just because they're going to be good spirited about it and say yes, doesn't mean that you should ask them because in the end it could really blow up. I love that. I genuinely feel like you've been watching secret footage (laughs) of actual conversations (laughs) between my husband and me. He has said those exact same words, especially about holidays. Listen, your parents are in from out of state. They're only here for three days. Why are you in the kitchen? Who cares? You know, and so he will step in and be like, kids, get in here and do the dishes so your mom can go visit with her parents. You know, he will step in. And again, that gives me the freedom as an obliger to be like, well, okay, I guess I am released from this, you know, obligation to make sure I do all the dishes immediately after, you know, Christmas dinner or whatever. So, but truly it's uncanny. That exact dynamic and conversation (laughs) has played out so many times. So that's very helpful. Oh, excellent. I love hearing that. All right. Well, let's talk about these rebels. I'm so interested to hear how a rebel will perceive a celebration, how they're going to show up in the dynamic and what we might be able to expect and how we can kind of work with and understand rebels when it comes to celebrations. Well, the thing about rebels that can be frustrating with celebration is that rebels typically do not like to lock in. They don't like to be told like, okay, we're going to sit down for dinner at seven o'clock. So we'd really like you to come for some hors d'oeuvres at about between six and 6.15. We're going to eat at seven and we have to be done by nine because the kids have to go to bed or something like that. That does not go well with rebels. They don't like being told where to go or when to go, and they don't like to be told what to do. They always want to be choosing and acting from freedom. Okay. And that can be really frustrating for other people because they're like, well, I love this person. I really want them to be there. Or it can be frustrating for rebels themselves because they're like, I love these people. So I don't understand like why I have this spirit of resistance. Well, it's just that rebels don't like to be told what to do. So even in the way you phrase things, you can make something more appealing to a rebel. You, You could say something like, Hey, you know, I think everybody's going to come. We're like, say like six o'clock. So anytime after that is fine. Whatever works for you. Probably we're going to eat dinner like seven because the kids have to go to bed by nine. But like, you know, just come grab a plate, you know, whenever it works out. Okay. So that's very much like over to you, your decision, what works for you. Now, what you want to do when you deal with a rebel, if you're trying to get them to do what you want them to do, you'd like them to come to the dinner on time. So the whole family's there. All the friends are there. Give them information, consequences, choice. So you want to give them the information they need and the consequences of that. So if you say, we're going to start eating around seven and we're going to end around nine because people's kids have to go to sleep. It's like, okay, if you show up at 845, it's going to be over. Like, that's just the way the things are going to go. And so the rebel can know if I wait too long, I'm going to miss. If I come on time, I'm going to see everybody. If I want the food to be hot and fresh and be able to choose from the best desserts, I better get there at seven. So now they have the information that they need to make the choice that works for them. But you don't want to nudge them. You don't want to remind them because the more you nudge or remind them, the more you ignite the spirit of resistance. Now, another thing that appeals to rebels is identity. They always want to be putting their authentic identity into the world. That's a very, very high rebel value. And so if you tie something to a value that is really important to a rebel, that will help them do it. So let's say that you have a rebel family member who really thinks of themselves as being a considerate family member, like a really loving family member. 
So you might say something like, wow, you know, I really know that Sarah is hoping to see everybody's face around the table. You know how sentimental she is. Like she wants the photo with everyone. It's so important to her. You know, so if you could show up, like that would be so cool because I know that like it really matters to her that you're there. So then it's sort of like, well, how do I see myself? Do I see myself as the considerate person who shows up for the person who's having the birthday, who wants the complete photo? Or do I see myself as the person who really doesn't care? Mm. So again, it's like, that's my choice. I'm deciding what to do, but I'm being reminded of my identity. Yes. You know, or something like if you had one who, like somebody who really prided themselves on like being like the super great uncle, like, you know, the heroic, the uncle that all the nieces and nephews loved. It's like, oh, well, I know they really want to see you, but you know, they're going to go to bed at like eight. So, you know, I hope that you can get there before eight because I know they're going to be so disappointed if they have to go to bed before you come. Yeah. It's like, okay, I am that considerate uncle. Like, I want to see all their happy faces. I have presents for them. I know that if I wait too long, I'm not going to be able to live up to that identity that's important to me because events are going to go. But the thing is, for this to work for Rebels, consequences must follow. So if you say the kids are going to bed at eight, if you say dinner's going to be over at nine, and then you delay the whole thing waiting for the Rebel to come, then there's no lesson there. There's no, in the future, they'll just think like, well, they'll just wait for me. Yeah, yeah. The only way that it can work is if actual consequences do follow. So you can't rescue, you can't save, you can't change everything to suit the rebel. Because if it's like everybody waits until the rebel shows up 45 minutes late, well, then why would the rebel ever show up on time? Exactly. This is working fine. Yes. It has to be like, oh, I know we were so sorry that you weren't there. But, you know, we, like, we had to leave because our, you know, our tickets said three. And so we knew we had to leave the house at 2.30. So, oh, we were so disappointed that you couldn't make it. You know, I mean, it's just like, we're not going to wait for you, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but it's always taking it back. This is what you want. This is what you choose. This is the kind of person that you are. Because that's really what is going to be powerful for a rebel. I love that. And I love that this sort of through line in all of these examinations of the four tendencies is... First of all, kind of recognizing who you yourself, how you show up in these situations, but also learning to speak the language of the people yes. involved in the dynamic, whether it's a family member, sometimes even a coworker, you know, just all of these different yeah. dynamics. Yes. And it's not about manipulating. It's, it's really at, at its core about effectively communicating. And if you want to yeah. really, really be able to communicate with someone, being able to speak their language is a huge part of that. And so using these phrases and understanding their context of how they're understanding this celebration is huge. So that's so helpful. It's funny that you say that because one of the things in writing the Four Tendencies book that was so helpful to me is just like hearing from people over and over and over about how they saw situations where I'm like, I would just see that situation differently. I would say something different. I would think something, you know, the opposite. And then realizing like, you know, they say there's no one truth. Well, and I was always like, come on. The situation is the situation. No, <laughs> like people really see things differently. It's yes. really like, it's hard to even remember that other people don't see things the way that we do. So you really do have to sort of discipline yourself to think like, well, I would say this and I would find that convincing, but I don't think that I'm speaking to a person who's going to be convinced by that argument. Let me talk to them in their language. Absolutely. Yes. And to go back to the questioner thing, I know if I can work efficiency into a conversation yeah. with my husband, then I can really make sure he's paying attention. <laughs> right. Because for them, it's really about justification. For yes. questioner, it's always, why should I? That is mm -hmm. the fundamental question. You tell me to do something, why should I? That is mm -hmm. like always what they're thinking. Yeah. If you can say why, 
But if you say like, look, we're having the Valentine's Day brunch at 10 a.m. and you have to be there at 9.45 and you have to be dressed this way. It's just like, well, why? Why 9.45? Why are we doing it for brunch? Look, everybody's coming over to my house. Why do I have to be wearing shoes? Like, yeah. hair. That's totally arbitrary. Yes. So it's like, okay, you can decide, okay, why do you need to wear shoes? You don't. Okay, I'm going to let that one go. You could say something like, I feel like it would feels disrespectful. If I went to somebody's house and they were barefoot, I would feel like they were showing, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, what is your reason? Right. Yeah, speak their language. That is so great. Well, before we wrap up, I am just so curious about this. I know that you talk about this a lot. And again, you've shared this framework with people who it's genuinely brought real and lasting change to their lives and their relationships, how they understand the world. So I know you talk about this a lot, but is there a question that you don't get asked that much about the four tendencies, but it is something that you think everyone should know about understanding this framework and how it applies to our actual real lives? Well, I think that what some people say or think is that like some are better than others. Some Uh, tendencies are better than others. They wish they were in a certain tendency. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, what I wish I could really convince people of, because sometimes I tell them this and they don't even seem convinced, really I have convinced is that each of these tendencies has tremendous strengths, but all the strengths are kind of paired with like the corresponding weakness and limitation. So if you're thinking like, well, who's happiest, who's healthiest, who's most productive, who's most creative? It's not any one tendency. It's the people who have figured out, like, how can I harness the strengths of my tendency and how can I offset the weaknesses and limitations of my tendency? And for instance, like, and each of these tendencies includes people who are wildly successful and also big losers. Now, I don't know if you happen to have read the book Remains of the Day. Yes. (laughs) Yes, which is a book that I love. It's a great Uh movie. But anyway, I reread it recently because I was looking for models of the tendencies in fiction and somebody suggested this book. So I reread it. And what was really interesting to me is it showed me most powerfully of any example I've ever seen of why obliger in certain situations would be the best tendency in a context. Because in that situation, if you think back to the character of the butler, he's an upholder. He's a classic upholder. Every single thing that he does, just he's a hundred percent. He says, he's as upholder as Hermione Granger. And yes. There are a few people that you can say that about. So right, right. <laughs> but and you see it, and you're like, if he had been an obliger, he would have saved himself. <sighs> he would have stayed with his dying father. He would have proposed to the woman that he loved. That would have saved him. And mm-hmm. it's his upholderness that prevented him. And to me, I was like, this is a perfect example of like, it's not that one is better than the other. It's like. Can you learn from the other tendencies? Can I, as an upholder, learn from my questioner husband? As you, an obliger, can you learn from your rebel side? Like, all of us have much to learn from each of the four tendencies when we understand, like, what they offer the world. And so I think sometimes people are just like, well, what's the best one and how do I fake it? And it's like, no, tap into the strength that you have. Figure out how to use that engine, but then figure out, like, there's all sorts of ways. There's tips or strategies that people have figured out to deal with the downsides because there are downsides to all these, but other people figured it out. Just copy them, use their hacks and then you'll get where you want to go. So that's what I really wish that I could really, really, really communicate to people about the four tendencies. It's just like, it's just working with what you have. It's like we tell our kids, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Just make the most of it and you can get the life you want. That is so profound and so true. There's so much, it's such a waste of our energy or the limits, you know, the energy that we've been given. Yes. 
to try to fit into this other thing that we're not. And it's so much better. I love that you said harness it. It's so much better to harness your own true authentic energy that's authentic to you and yeah. do the best that you can with what you have been given. Yeah, so true. yeah absolutely. Well, Gretchen, this has been amazing. This has been so insightful. I, you know, all of these celebration occasions that come up and oftentimes we hear this in our community, especially every year around the holidays. There's this upswell of conversations, questions like, how do I get through this? This family <laughs> dynamic is falling apart. How am I going to do this? And I think that being able to frame it in like just understanding what are we each coming to this table yeah. with? I think it's going to be so helpful for so many. Oh, terrific. No, it's funny. I heard from people were like, that's what they did for like their holiday dinners. Their whole family took the quiz yes. and then they talked about it amongst themselves and they were like, okay. Now we can work out some of these like yes. uh, conflicts that we've had. Definitely. Definitely. It's like the best gift you can give to your family <laughs> is let's try to understand yeah. each other. Hey. Why we do the things we do. I love that. Well, Gretchen, remind everybody where we can find you. Yeah. I know that, of course, you have your website, GretchenRubin.com. Yeah. Social media, the podcast, remind us where we can find all of your things. Yes, my podcast is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and I co-host it with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, and we talk about how to be happier. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and so that's Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And then I love engaging with readers and listeners and viewers all over social media, and I'm just Gretchen Rubin, and that's R-U-B-I-N on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, YouTube. Yeah. So, and there's tons of resources there on all my books, like discussion guides. And then also with the four tendencies that you can take the quiz there if you want to take the quiz. Yeah. So I love to hear from people. So get in touch if you're so inclined. Well, thank you again so much, Gretchen, for coming to Sorta Awesome. That was so fun. I feel like we could talk all day long. <laughs> Awesomes, was that not so much fun? We are so thankful to have had Gretchen on the show. And if you want to track me down to talk more about the four tendencies, you guys know I am always up for personality talk anytime. Remember, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. We are always on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks for helping us celebrate Sorta Awesome in April. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 